Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 104. That'll be the first place we go this morning in Psalm 104. God's grace and peace are with us as we study his word. And today and next Sunday, we're going to spend two weeks on this subject of money, that money matters and why why money matters. And the first place that we'll look together will be here in Psalm 104. Just make two simple points this morning. We'll have three or so scriptures to back up each of the points, and uh, Psalm 104 will be the first place we go. Listen to God's word. We'll read the whole thing. Listen to how this psalm describes that God made everything, and then God shared everything that he made with us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it shall never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunders, they took flight. And the mountains rose. And the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. Look at what he gives us in verse 11. They give drink to every beast of the field. And wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heaven dwell. They sing. God gives us the singing of the birds. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks is a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the sun to mark, the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know the time of its setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. And when the sun rises, they steal away and they lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable living things, both small and great. They go to the ships and to Leviathan, which you form to play in the sea. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good. When God opens his hand, they are filled with good, good things. 
When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die. They return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in all his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles and he touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Psalm 104 is about how God created everything and then God shares everything with us. I want to talk for the next couple of weeks about money. The outline will be similar. If you remember the, the last two weeks, we talked about singleness. The first week was a biblical vision for singleness. This week, the first of this two-week series will be a biblical vision, a simple overview of two simple points. And then next week will be godly guidance about say, uh, earning, saving, spending, giving, and maybe five or six principles about how to manage money from God's word. But I want to talk about money. Why does money matter? This service, at least in theory, is designed to last 75 minutes. And... If you're doing church the right way that we beg you to, you're coming to this service from ABF. So you've already been here an hour and a half. You'll be here till 12. So you've dedicated three hours of your life to church. Question. This coming week, how many hours of your life will you dedicate to earning money? More than three? How many hours of your life will you dedicate to thinking about money, to spending money, to scrolling on your phone or scrolling up and down the aisles of the store wondering what you should buy with money? We spend a lot of time earning money and spending money and thinking about money, considering money, pondering money, wondering about it, worrying about it. The subject of money is of great importance and yet the subject of money is sort of neglected because when we talk about money, we tend to get defensive and closed. Why is the subject of money neglected even in church? Well, I submit to you, the subject of money is not neglected because it is unimportant. It's actually something we spend a lot of time thinking about. Perhaps the subject of money is neglected because it is important and we tend to get defensive when it comes up. Even in the church, pastors feel like, well, I don't want to harangue the church for more money because the church pays my salary and that seems inappropriate. And maybe the members of the church feel like, hey, leave us alone. What we drop in the plate is between us and God. You don't have to be involved in that. There may, along the line, be a, a board member of the church, say our, our treasurer or whatever, who's like actually paying the bills of the church. And he's like, man, I wish the pastor would talk about money more because these bills are coming in and we don't have enough money to pay them. That may be the case, but even that is a, is a, is a push-off, like, well, talk about it for the church. But we all tend to be defensive when it becomes personal. But... It, the healthy way that it is supposed to be, I hope I'm somewhat approximating this, 
is the pastor's supposed to be like, well, all I know is I love God and he's right. And I love you and your way will go better if you do what God says is right. And, and the whole church feels like, well, we love God and we trust God's word. So whatever God's word says, that's what we want to do. And that's what we want to hear. And unsurprisingly, God's word has quite a bit to say about money. But this is a subject that we get tense and defensive about. So before we get tense and defensive, one lighthearted story for you about money. Uh, Three kids on the playground bragging to each other about how much money their parents make. First kid, little boy. My dad is an attorney. And I don't know exactly how it works, but attorneys charge by the hour. And I heard that my dad charges you $200 if he's going to spend one hour with you. Wow. Second kid doesn't miss a beat. This is a little girl. And she says, oh yeah? Well, my mom is an orthodontist. And I don't know exactly how it works, but she only has to work from breakfast time until lunch, and then she's done. And I think if you want to get braces on your teeth, it costs like $2,000 that you have to give that to my mom. Third kid says, oh yeah, little boy, my dad is the pastor of the church. And my dad only works for an hour on Sunday. (laughs) And during that hour, he collects so much money that they take 10 guys in coats and ties to stack it up and carry it down the aisles. The subject of money is not neglected in the church because it is unimportant. When we're talking about money, what we quickly find out is we're not talking about money. Money is an EKG to reveal what's actually going on in your heart. It's like an MRI that reveals what's happening in your spiritual system. So I want to talk this morning about money. Two simple points. Point number one. This, you'll, you'll hear this from Psalm 104. Point number one. God created and owns everything. God created and owns everything. He shares it all with us because he is good and he loves us. That's it. God created and owns everything. He shares it all with us because he's good and he loves us. He shares it all with us because he's good and he loves us. And certainly, that's what Psalm 104 says. Psalm 104 insists on those two truths, that God created it all and God owns it all. But then right away, God shares it all with us because he's good and he loves us. This, is, this, comes, through so, this comes through so wonderfully in Psalm 104. Uh, just to give you one more place where we find this, let me read to you from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty of all that's in the heavens and all that's in the earth. David says, All that's in the earth is yours. 
Both riches and honor come from you, O Lord, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. It is in your hand to make great and to lay low. First Chronicles 29, verse 12, David says, everything in the earth is the Lord's and the Lord gives us the power to attain wealth. Everything is from God and he shares it with us. Fundamental to the Christian doctrine of God is the belief that God created all things, God sustains all things, and God holds sovereign rights over everything. This is so fundamental to the Christian doctrine of God that, well, there's like no heaven and hell without it. God has the sovereign right to judge sinners in hell because he created and sustains every life in the universe. And God, wonder of wonders, has the sovereign right to graciously grant unilateral salvation to those whom he chooses to save because God created all things, sustains all things, and holds all the rights in the universe. The implications of God's ownership and God's sovereign rights are endlessly, the, the implications of God's sovereign ownership of all things are endless, and in particular, they are endlessly personal. I should say at the outset, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is like a, a helpful topical sermon for Christians on how to handle money. It's kind of like how to do some of the steps of the dance. <laughs> but if you're not a Christian, you just need to learn the song. You need to learn the rhythm. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And nobody earns salvation by what they pay for it. Jesus paid it all. It would be our delight to share that gospel of Jesus Christ with you so that you can know him as Savior. But for those who are members of the church and who are Christian, the critical action or the critical inference to draw from God's ownership of all things is simply this. We are not free to do whatever we want with whatever we have. We are not free to do whatever we want with whatever we have. God created and owns all things and God graciously shares those things with us. But they're not ultimately ours, they're ultimately his. So we have to manage those things as God directs us. We must consult God's word, we must listen to God's voice as we manage these things. This is the principle of stewardship. This is the principle of stewardship. I remember, do you remember Remember as a kid, the first time you were given some money and you could do whatever you want with it? I remember being a little guy. I, we were in Oklahoma visiting my, my grandpa and my grandma. And I remember my grandpa put like a, a, a little stack of $1 bills in my hand. And he said, Spencer, you go in that store, you get whatever you want with that money. And I walked through those doors like, like Rockefeller. And I just went up and down the aisles like, I got this money. I can get whatever I want with it. I remember the feeling to this day. Maybe it was the same trip. I remember my grandma, who, let's just say she knew how to crack the whip. <laughs> she gave me some money and a piece of paper with four items on it. 
and said, you walk to that store, get those four items with that money and bring back the change. And I did. When it comes to money, most of us child, ch childishly remain in that first story and it's unhealthy. God wants us to see ourselves as stewards who are accountable to him. And here's the genius of it. If we just do whatever we want with whatever we have, we think we're going to bring ourselves joy, but we never will. There is so much more joy and so much more freedom and blessing in being an obedient steward and faithful to God. Best book I have on money is written by Randy Alcorn, and this is his definition of stewardship. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. Alcorn goes on to say, stewardship isn't a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. After all, what is stewardship except that God has entrusted to each of us life, time, talent, money, possessions, family, church, his grace. And God gives us these things and watches what we do with it. So God shares all of these resources with us. Now, when God gives us all these things to enjoy, the funny thing is, or the fascinating thing is, that he leaves us room to make choices. We can go according to our preferences, our giftings, our passions, our personal decisions, but he does want us to check in with him and consult him and follow his leadership. And I trust that you know, because I know this to the bottom of my toes, when I think going my own way will bring me satisfaction and joy, I'm always deluding and deceiving myself. But if I go God's way, I end up with so much more joy and so much more peace than I ever would have had going my own way. You're better following him than not following him. And God gives us all things to enjoy. And so you see that when we talk about money, it's not really about money. It's about how that reveals how much we thank God for, how much we depend upon God for, and how we follow in God's way with our money. Let me show you one more place in the Old Testament. If you would, turn back to Deuteronomy 8. That's the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 8. And I just want to rid from your mind, I want to rid from your mind once and for all the notion that you can do whatever you want with whatever you have because nothing is like that. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by God. So let's just look here at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20. God, so to speak, is about to put a stack of $1 bills in Israel's hand. And this is what he says to Israel. Verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiplies and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord your God, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. And look how specific God's provision for them is. I led you through the wilderness, he says in verse 15, with its fiery serpents and its scorpions and its thirsty ground where there was no water. I brought you water out of the flinty rock. I fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't know that I might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. No, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord made perish before you. So you shall perish because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This scripture in Deuteronomy 8 is so old but it is, it is so contemporary. To me, this sounds exactly like the country that I live in and the people that I live with. Verse 14, lest your heart be lifted up. Pride is so perilous. And particularly in the area of money, the hubris that says I can do whatever I want with whatever I have is hazardous in a way that we mere mortals don't understand. Verse 17, to me, verse 17 just sounds so American. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. My fortitude, my independence, and my hard work has gotten me everything that I have. Now, the scripture insists on uh, hard work. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament say that everyone who is able should work hard. And the Bible actually says that the harder you work, the more money you should make. That's how it should work. So that, so that you enjoy the fruit of your labor because you work hard. That, that's completely true. And the Bible says many places that if you can work and you don't, and you're just lazy, uh, the Bible doesn't incentivize laziness. The Bible says that those who are lazy should repent and work harder. Yet at the same time, at the exact same time, the Bible takes this attitude about money. If I work hard and I say, I worked hard for this, everything I worked for is mine, and I can do whatever I want with it, the Bible calls that attitude godless, not godly. The Bible insists that when you work hard and you make money, that you worship God with that money, you consult God about that money, and you're generous with it. You're compassionate toward those who have less than you. The Bible insists on that from cover to cover. So this sort of independent streak where we say with verse 17, my power and the might of my hand have gotten this. I worked hard to earn it so I can do what I want with it. I worked hard to earn it so I can do what I want with it. That's the balloon. Where's the pin? The balloon is, I worked hard for it so I can do what I want with it. The pin is, who gave you the ability to work hard? My strength earned all this. 
That's the balloon. The pin is, where did your strength come from? I can treat everything I have like it's mine, all mine. That's the balloon. The pin is, you are God's. He made your hands. He made your feet. He made your mind. He he put you together. He made you, and if you're saved, he saved you. He, he, He made you born again. So I hope you can see from Deuteronomy 8, from 1 Chronicles, from Psalm 104, that simple first point, that it's all from God. He owns it all, and he shares it with us because he's good and he loves us. Now I'll give you the second point, and it's a lot like the first point. The second point is this. What we do with what God shares with us. That's what the second point is about. That's the first part of the second point. What we do with what God shares with us, what we do with what God shares with us, reveals what we believe to be good and what we really love. What we do with what God shares with us reveals what we believe is good and what we really love. You see, if everything that's given to us from God is given because God is good and God loves us, what we do with everything that God shares with us, what we do with everything that God shares with us reveals what we believe to be good and what we really love. And I like that word reveals. What we do with our money reveals it. When we talk about money, money matters, not not just because we're talking about money, but money is that spiritual EKG that reveals the heart. It reveals what's really there. And sometimes things need to be revealed because, listen, how frequent is it that somebody says, 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 says all day long and twice on Sunday lots of good things, but they never back those things up with their life, with their action, with their, with, with, with their money. What we do with what God shares with us reveals what we believe is good, and it reveals what we really love. Money is uh, the revealer. Money is the, the test. Money gives an accurate assessment of what's going on in the heart. Look, if we were in Psalms 10, Psalm 104, look ahead from Psalms to Proverbs in uh, Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. This says that money is a test. Money is a revealer. And I like Proverbs 30 because it goes from the South Pole to the North Pole. It says that if you have a lot of money, it's a big test. And maybe the only bigger test than having a lot of money is the test that not having enough money is. But either way, money is the revealer and the test. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see verse 8? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's what we read in Deuteronomy 8. When When your bank account is full, you say, I earned all this. I can do what I want with it. And you forget God. But what if your bank account doesn't have enough and the bills are still pouring in? Then it says, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The test of poverty is that, well, if in my anxiety about not having enough, I actually break the law of God 
and I'm anxious and that drives me to steal or to lie or to cheat or just that, that sinful anxiety that bubbles up. Money reveals in a way that, nothing, that little else does an accurate assessment of what's going on in the heart. And you're familiar, I trust, with Jesus' famous saying in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 6, verse 21, Jesus is not saying... uh, Jesus is not saying, if you give money to Christian causes, your heart will become right with God. Jesus is saying, how we spend our money indicates the true condition of our heart. That how we spend our money shows what we believe to be good, and it shows what we really love. This is why money matters. And the Bible is persistent in its insistence that money reveals the heart. If you would turn one more place to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is one of the last, uh, one of, the last of the epistles. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to show you verses 17 through 19 on this second point that what we do with what God shares with us reveals what we believe about, what we believe to be good and what we really love. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. What what an awesome set of verses here. Look, Look at this. As for the rich in this present age, man, leave it to the Bible to say, when we're talking about money, hey, we're only talking about this very short life. It's so short. It's so short. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Man, I love these three verses. At the beginning, it says, as for those who are rich in this present age, this life that's over like a vapor. And at the very end of our text here in verse 19, it says, you can lay hold of that which is truly life. Not just the present age, but even for the age to come. You can lay hold of that which is truly life. And I love how there in verse 18, we're, we're, we're told to be like God in to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to graciously share with those around us. That's godly. That's what God has done with us, and so that's what we do with others. And I love verse 17. This is one of my favorite descriptions of God in the New Testament. Look, see it? But on God, comma, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Christian, who is God? God is the only one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I love that verse. When Paul said, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, I wonder what specific things were in his mind. If it was me, the first thing that comes to mind is the cronut from Benson's Bakery. (laughs) 
Oh, man, if you have not had one of those cronuts, just go, go on. You can get the rest of the sermon later. Just get yourself a cronut. But God, this says God gives us all things to enjoy. You know, it's endlessly fascinating to me that God is omniscient, but God is not a micromanager of what you do with the money that he entrusts to you. In other words, there are very specific commands in Scripture, very specific. And let's just say if he wanted to, God could have said, I allow you to spend no more than 6% of your income on clothes. And half the clothes you own should be used. You should get them at, at Salvation Army. He could have said that, but he didn't. He's, he's omniscient and he knows everything and he's sovereign over the particulars, but he gives us this wide bandwidth of freedom to say, we're going to spend some on this and some on that and some on the other. He leaves us room for our individual personalities, our preferences, our, 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 our gifts and our passions. Amy and I went this week to a romantic dinner because it was our wedding anniversary. And... We could have gone to Taco Bell, but we didn't. I don't mean, I don't mean to say this flippantly. Um, we could have gone to Taco Bell and spent $1.89 and sent the rest of that uh, to people in Kenya. I don't mean that flippantly, but we didn't do that. We had a fairly expensive dinner, and we didn't, we didn't go home and feel guilty <laughs> because... Giving, even giving to Kenya, is, that's a part of what's in our heart and it's a part of what's in our budget. But we, we, we lay that all out, we pray about it, we make the best decision we can, and then, and then God gives us this freedom to make these choices. The issue is that what we do with what God entrusts to us reveals how seriously we take God's lordship in our lives, and it does show what we think is good and what we love. What we do with what God entrusts to us reveals our heart. So Christian, acknowledge that everything you have was given to you from God and thank him for it. It is so very common to complain or have a prayer request about what we don't have. Complain is bad. I suppose prayer request is good. But it is so common to complain or pray about what we don't have. It is just strikingly uncommon to thank God for what he has given us. And we should get into that more. Give him thanks. Acknowledge that it's from him. And then share gladly because God shared with you. You're very willing to share with others. Money matters. I mean, to, to put it somewhat crassly, the credibility of your Christianity comes through in cash. It's not the only way that it comes through. And I'm very well aware that someone may give $10 in the offering and someone may give $10,000 in the offering and the person that gave 10 is giving a lot more than the person that gave 10,000. That, that's all, you know, in God's sovereignty and relative to where we're at. But it is the case that it reveals what we love and what we think is good. What's the most common prayer? When they said, Jesus, we don't know how to pray, teach us how to pray. 
The simplest prayer that Jesus taught us says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How credible is a Christianity that says, Your kingdom come, but don't ask me to fund it with my money. God, your will be done. But God, I'm just telling you, if it's your will that I share anything I have with anybody else, you better back off, God. Money matters because it shows what we believe is good and it shows what we love. An old cartoon I saw so long ago of a, of a, of a Christian church singing the offertory hymn. And the offering him is, uh, has the line, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And church member in the eighth row, while he's singing those lyrics, is rifling through his wallet to get past the 20s and 10s and even the fives to preferably find a one to drop that in the offering plate. Like, we just, money's not the only way that we show what we love, but it is certainly a significant way that we show what we love and what we believe is good. And do you believe this, that God really does own all that is, and God really has chosen to share with us all that he has made? Money is a means to show the state of our heart. And hear me say this, money uh, in and of itself doesn't ruin anyone. Money in and of itself doesn't corrupt anyone. Money is a vehicle. But on the other hand, money in and of itself, I don't believe that money in and of itself meets the deepest need in the heart of anyone. Only the grace of God in Jesus Christ does that. But money is a good vehicle a necessary vehicle to show what we believe is good and, and what we love. Money matters. Not so much because money matters, but money matters because money is one of the main ways we show what matters to us, what, what we love and what we believe is good. And what we believe is the best is, is uh, God's grace God's grace to us in Jesus Christ in the gospel. Listen, church, though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows, my utmost need it soundeth. There's not a need in my life that God's grace in Christ has not met. And not only has he saved me, but look at where we began. Psalm 104. He makes the birds sing in the trees so I can hear it. He makes wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine. Miller Brewing Company didn't invent it. God did. We can corrupt it through illicit use toward drunkenness or toward gluttony. But God gives it to us richly to enjoy in a godly way, giving thanks to him for it. He makes all the creatures in the sea, all the creatures in the forest. I mean, everything good that we enjoy 
from cronuts to, to puppies. God just pours it all out on us. This is in addition to saving us from hell through the blood of Jesus Christ crucified in our place. So church, this is why money is one primary way that we thank God and we show God what matters to us, that we trust him, that we love him, and that we worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hear your children as they pray. Father, we ask that you would transform us within. Father, we choose what we choose because we love what we love. And Father, as we confess the consequences of our wrong choices, we even go deeper than that and confess our disordered loves. And in this moment, we ask, Holy Spirit of God, change what we're going to choose tomorrow by changing what we love. Give us an abounding love for Jesus and all that you have done for us. This we ask that Jesus might be glorified in this church. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.